Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill us. We pray that you would give us understanding and fresh insight as we study your word. We pray that you'll empower us to obey you uh, this day, this week, however many days you give us, Lord. Help us to obey you, to live for you, to glorify you. And Lord, whatever you have us to do, whomever you have us to minister to or witness to, I pray that you'll open up those doors. Now, I pray that you would equip us. I pray even right now that you'll be working on the other person's heart, tilling the soil, Father. That when we meet up with them, they will be those ripe apples, just ready to receive your son, Jesus. So I do pray for the gift of teaching. Help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. And Lord, we don't need just a favorite Bible verse. Lord, we need a timely word from you, what we need to hear right here, right now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So first off, I hope you all had an awesome Thanksgiving. It's always a good time to give thanks to the Lord. And so the last time we met was before Thanksgiving, and so I just want to refresh you just a little bit just so you'll see the connection between the last lesson uh, before Thanksgiving and uh, tonight's lesson. And so if you recall, as King Saul was attempting to kill David, David's wife, Michal, who was also Saul's daughter, let him down through a window. And so David ended up escaping. He escaped being killed by Saul, and he went to Samuel that great prophet and judge in in a place called Ramah. And then David and Saul, they went to Nioth and they stayed there. And then at one point, Saul was told where David was. And so Saul sent some messengers to try to take David. But of course, they were unsuccessful. And they were unsuccessful because the Holy Spirit intervened. So finally, when those messengers didn't work out, Saul himself went to Nioth and Ramah to try to um, seize and kill David. But the scriptures tell us in that last study that the Holy Spirit intervened once again. And in intervening in the sense that um, Saul began to prophesy and he took off his garments and so forth. And he lay, um, the scripture says he lay naked. And I explained to you, it doesn't mean that he was totally naked, but he took off his outer robe and, and so forth. And so he did that and laid there all night and prophesied. And, and that's an example of the Holy Spirit intervening because God was giving, I believe, David a chance to get away from those who wanted to kill him, namely King Saul. And so tonight, we're going to pick up with this story in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And so if you will, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And what we're going to look at and dig into is the friendship between Jonathan and David. And the interesting thing about their friendship is that Jonathan is the son of King Saul, and King Saul considered David to be his enemy. And so it's a very interesting relationship that we're going to look at. And we saw just a little bit about their relationship, but we're going to dig deeper into it tonight. And so we want to pick up with the narrative or the story in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 20. It says, Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah, And he went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And so Jonathan said to him, 
by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing either great or small without first telling me. So he's going to inform me about what he's going to do. And he would have told me if he were going to kill you, in other words. And, and he also says, and why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. It's not true, David. You're not going to die at the hands of my father. And then David took an oath again and he said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved, lest he be upset. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, David is saying, there is but a step between me and death. And and so David, if you remember, he escaped death multiple times. David in the fields, because remember, he was a shepherd. He used to watch his father's flock. He, he fought a bear. He came face to face with a lion, and he came out victorious over both the bear and the lion. And he told this to Saul. And the scriptures also tell us that he defeated Goliath, of course, with the Lord's help. And so he has escaped death those few times. He's even escaped Saul, who threw a javelin at him more than once. And so David knows what it means to escape death. And now, of course, knowing that Saul is out to kill him, it says here in the scriptures in verse 3 that he knew that, that there was just a step between him and death. And I highlighted or underlined that verse because I want to focus on that in, in verse 3, just that phrase, there is a step but a step between me and death because the same could be said about all of us. And the same could be said about all of us because we don't know when it could be our last day. Therefore, we're to live every day for the Lord. We're to live every day to the fullest to glorify him. We're to live every day um, asking God to use us to minister to or witness to whomever and wherever. And we need to make ourselves available. We need to live for him and walking in obedience to him, living every day for him. Again, that brings him glory. In other words, it brings him honor because once again, the same could be said about all of us that there is but a step between me and death. And so Jonathan said to David in verse four, whatever you yourself desire. He says, I'll do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. And so what he's saying there is that I've always eaten with the king on this occasion. This is what I normally do. But David continues in verse 5, but let me go that I may hide in the field or in the countryside until the third day at evening. And if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, or he begged permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family or clan. And if he says thus, if Saul says it is well, or, oh, that's cool, it's okay, then your servant will be safe. But if Saul is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. See that, Jonathan, as a sign that he wants to do evil against me. He wants to kill me. That is, if he's angry. And therefore, in verse 8, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant or agreement of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, if there is lawlessness in me, in me, he tells Jonathan, then kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And so notice that in that, in, in that last portion there, how David is not trying to run from the consequences of sin, if that is the case. He said, if I'm sin, I'm not trying to run away from it, but I, I just want to know. What did I do wrong to make him want to kill me? But then he goes on to say, but 
But Jonathan, if, if there's iniquity, if there's lawlessness, if there's sin in my life, Jonathan, I would rather for you to kill me than for you to turn me over to your dad, the king of Israel. I'd rather for you, Jonathan, an honorable man, my close friend, to deal with me, to kill me if there's sin in me. For at least, and, and I'm just elaborating here, for at least if someone who loved him will do that deed, will, would kill him for his sin, it would be better than someone who hated him who would kill him. You know, this concept, it carries over when we talk about God dealing with us if or when we sin as believers. Because the scriptures are clear when it tells us that that when we're chastised by him, when we're spanked, in other words, by the Lord, that he deals with us as with sons. And so it shows that we are his children if we're sinning and we're refusing to repent. To leave that sin, turn back to him in, in repentance. We're refusing that and he spanks us. It shows that he loves us. It shows that we are his children. And of course, the spanking from the Lord is not fun. It's, it doesn't feel good. But at least we know that it comes from a heart of love. And it does not come from a heart of hate. But even still, we... Even when we're chastised, we, we still experience the mercy of God. Because I don't believe any of us who have been chastised by the Lord, we, I don't believe any of us have received the full consequences of what we really deserve. And that's what mercy is about. See, mercy is us not getting what we really deserve, whereas grace is us getting what we cannot earn, what we do not deserve. And so, yes, I love to have grace, but it's also a blessing to have mercy, to not get what I really deserve. It's good to have that compassion, even in chastisement. And, and I think David kind of had that in mind. Jonathan, I would rather for you to kill me than for someone who hates me to kill me. Because once again, at least I know that you love me. But God, even more so. In verses 9 through 16, it says, But Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? And then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? So how am I going to know if your father answers you in a harsh way? That is, as you go about this plan, Jonathan. In verse 11, and Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. And then Jonathan in verse 12 said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father or when I find out how my father feels sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, then may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And he says, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan in verse 16, he, he made a covenant or this agreement with the house of David, even with his descendants is what it's saying, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies, or it could be translated, may the Lord destroy all your enemies, or may uh, the Lord hold David's enemies accountable. And so here we see that Jonathan made this agreement. He made this covenant with David as well as David's descendants or his family line. And if it were confirmed that Saul, again, Jonathan's father, intended to kill David, then he will let David know so that David will be able to get away 
and be safe. But in return, in this agreement, David was to show him kindness and his descendants kindness the rest of his life and not kill him. And even David's descendants was to show kindness to Jonathan's descendants and not kill them. And this is something that Jonathan felt needed to be said. He had an idea. He knew that David would be the next king of Israel. And you see, in those days when, when one royal house replaced another, it was, it was common for the new royal house to kill all of the potential rulers from the old royal house. And so Jonathan felt that he needed to say that. He felt that he needed to protect himself in this agreement as well as his descendants, his family line. But it says in verse 17, it says, Now Jonathan again calls David to vow because Jonathan loved David, for he loved them as much as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon. And you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed. Or or hide in that place that you hid when this trouble began. That is when my father tried to kill you. Because he did try to kill him in the past and we read about that. And, And he said, and remain by the stone Ezel. And verse 20 It says, then I will shoot three arrows to the side, that is to the side of the rock, as though I shot at a a target. And, And he says, and there I will send a lad or a boy saying, go find the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. So that will be some type of code for David, that everything is all right, that he can come out of hiding, that his father, that Saul is not going to kill him. But in verse 22, if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, then that will be code for go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord between be between you and me forever. So the Lord is witness. He's going to make sure that I keep my part of this agreement or covenant and that you keep your part. And if you don't, remember the Lord, of course, is watching. He is witness. He remembers. And so Jonathan shared this plan of communication with David that will let him know if he could stay or if he need to run away. If he needed to keep himself safe because his father saw a plan to, to kill him or harm him. And so he set up this plan. And just like in this plan how uh, Jonathan and David worked out a sign and how David would have liked the sign of how Saul felt about him or what Saul intended to do with him. Many of us, too, would would like to know signs of how the king, that is, King Jesus, feels about us. And so some of us ask about signs because we go through things. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. And so some of us would would think, oh, uh, how does the Lord feel about me? How does the king of the earth view me? How does the king of the universe see me? So some of us would, would feel that way, and some of us, like David, would, would, would want a sign. We would want an arrow, so to speak, to, to get some type of idea of how our king feels about us. And thank God he gives us a major sign of how he feels about us. Because in Romans 5, 8, it tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us. That, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we did anything that was good, before we even ministered to one person, before we thought any good thought or even a bad thought. Oh, he loved us and he sent his son to die for us. And so God doesn't just say, I love you, but he showed us. 
He sent his begotten son. He sent his, in other words, unique son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And so in that, we see love. And so if the enemy tries to plant a seed of doubt because of some trial you're going through, because you feel lonely, especially at this time of year when many people have lost loved ones, oh, there's loneliness that sets in. There's prayers that you sent up to spare the life of that loved one who just passed away. And maybe it was recently, maybe they've been gone for a few years that is gone from this earth. So you're wondering, does God even hear me? Did he even hear any of those prayers? Does he even love me? Did he even love any of my loved ones? And we can always turn back to that arrow, so to speak, in Romans 5, 8. When the enemy tries to whisper to us that, that God doesn't really care about us, that he's not really with us, that, oh, God said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But guess what? He's not with you right now. And the enemy will spread those lies to us. But we could always go back to one of these arrows here. And, and, and we're looking at here, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So, yes, He does love me. And verse 24, it says, Then David hid in the field. He hid in the countryside. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. And now the king sat on his seat as at other times. He sat on his seat by or against the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner, who was Saul's army captain, he sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty according to plan. And nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean, that is, ceremonially unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. It was empty again. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? Now he asked a question out loud. He didn't try to reason within his own mind. And so Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly or begged permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. And then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan And he said to him, you son of a perverse or wicked, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, sin and bring that David to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should it be killed? What has he done? What what did David do to you? And, And then Saul cast a spear at Jonathan to kill him, at his own son to kill him. By, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. And so I want to start by talking about this, this new moon because they were supposed to have a feast or, or at, at this new moon. And so this new moon, first of all, was the, was the first day of each month. And it was designated as the first or head of the month. And hence it's called new moon. And these new moons, they were usually celebrated with uh, additional burnt offerings. They, they were celebrated with the blowing of trumpets, with family feasts, as we see here spiritual edification and family sacrifices. And so David, as he normally did, being a part of Saul's court and also his son-in-law, he he was expected to be present at this feast because, again, it was the new moon. And so when David missed the first day of the feast, we see in the scriptures and we just read it that that Saul just assumed that he was ceremonially uh, unclean. And that and that uncleanness, by the way, would only last until the evening. It would it would only last for one day. And so he was like, "Okay, he can't 
participate today. He's unclean. And so that was his thought. And so when David missed the second day, Saul wanted to know what was going on because that, that um, uncleanness should have only lasted one day. And so now he insisted, okay, what's going on, Jonathan? And so as the conversation goes along and, and we see what Jonathan said, we see how Jonathan covered for David, saying, oh, he was just invited or his brothers commanded him to come home and have this large feast to celebrate the new moon with the family. The family's going to be there. He begged me to go, so I, he, I let him go. And so now you begin to see Saul's heart. And we already knew what was there because we've been reading the scriptures. We've been studying the scriptures in 1 Samuel. So we, we already kind of knew this. But now Jonathan got to see what was in Saul's heart. And so Saul's heart was revealed through what? Through his words. And it was also revealed through his actions. We see here that, that Saul was still trying to thwart the plan of God. And he was still trying to hold on to the throne. And he was still planning on having a dynasty come from him to rule Israel. Even though God told him that, hey, I'm going to remove you from the throne and, and you're not going to have a dynasty because you were disobedient. In fact, I found somebody better than you, somebody who's a man after my own heart. God told him that. That's God's plan. And even still, we see that, that, that Saul had different plans and we see that manifested here in his words to Jonathan when he told Jonathan that, that, hey, as long as he lives on the earth, as long as David lives on the earth, he didn't even call David by his name. He said, the son of Jesse, as long as he's living on this earth, you, you're not going to reign as king. You're not even going to have a dynasty. And so, in other words, jo Jonathan, you need to be on my side and get rid of this young man. And so Saul's heart was revealed. He was planning on killing David. He wanted to make sure in his mind, of course, that, that his plan for him and his family to continue to reign would happen. Oh, that is so like Satan. You know, Jesus is the rightful king. Oh, he came back and he did the work of redemption on the cross. But Satan is still trying to hold on to the throne of people's lives. He, Satan still thinks he's in charge. And so he's usurping the throne. He's usurping the throne of, of people's lives. He, he thinks he's, he, he owns this planet, though God created it. And yes, he's called the prince of this world. Yes, it says that he has sway. He has influence over this world system, but he is not the rightful king. So Jesus of course, is the anointed one. He is the Christ, the Messiah, anointed prophet, king, and priest all at the same time. And the scripture teaches that. And one day, this king, Jesus, he's going to come back and rule over what he paid for, what he redeemed. And he had to redeem the earth. He had to uh, redeem it because man lost it. God gave man authority. He was supposed to be the extension of God on this earth and have dominion. But he handed it over to Satan in the book of Genesis and Jesus had to redeem it. And that's, that's where you have that. And I don't have time to get into this. That's where you have that law of the kinsman redeemer come in. And it's so beautifully, beautifully explained in the book of Ruth. And so Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. And so in other words, man is the one who lost dominion over the earth. And so man would have to be the one to redeem it. But guess what? There is no perfect man, so, but there is a perfect God. But then there would need to be someone who was perfect to die for the sins of, the, of man and, and to redeem what was lost. But wait a minute, God cannot die. Therefore, the son, God, Jesus, had to take upon a body. And that body would die. And then he would do that work of redemption. And so he becomes our kinsman redeemer. 
And so humans lost paradise. Humans messed up, but then a perfect human, the last Adam, the perfect Adam, the Adam who didn't mess up, Jesus Christ, he came back and fixed it all. And so this king of kings, this last Adam, Jesus Christ, he's going to rule over what rightfully belongs to him. And I can say with all of creation that I cannot wait. I cannot wait for our king to to take back what the enemy is trying to usurp, just like Saul is trying to do here. He is usurping the throne. But I do want to get back to the point that Saul's heart was revealed and him still trying to stay on the throne and keep his family there. And one thing I want to say about that is only God knows what is truly in someone's heart. But before even the words or actions come out from that person. However, God has a way of revealing what is in someone's heart. Therefore, we can see what's in people's hearts. Again, through their words and actions. And so God would allow failures to come into people's lives. He would allow adversity to come into people's lives. He would even allow success and even, should I say the word, even pandemics to come into people's lives. And, And that will reveal, God will use those things to reveal hearts. And needless to say, many hearts have been revealed. In verse 34, it says, so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and he ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so although Saul was the king and although Saul was Jonathan's father, we see here that Jonathan did not side with his father. Instead, the scriptures tell us, verse 34, he was grieved for David. He was hurt. He was hurting for David. And so Jonathan, instead of being on the side of his father who was being evil, Jonathan was, of course, on the side of right. And so there's a lesson for us there that that we shouldn't elevate family. We shouldn't elevate culture. We shouldn't elevate political parties, whatever political party you belong to. You shouldn't elevate your skin color above God's standard. Because right is right and wrong is wrong. I don't care if we're the same skin color. If you're wrong, you're wrong. If you're in sin, you're in sin. I'm always going to side with the Lord. And I would encourage you to do the same, to stand with the Lord, to stand with God. And that's that's not going to be popular with the world. It's not going to be popular with the people in your culture. It's not going to be popular with the people who have the same educational status that you do. It's not going to go well with with some of the people with the same economic status that, that you have. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And Jonathan was on the side of right, so be a Jonathan tonight when it comes to that. Now in verses 35 through 40, I'm not going to read those, but just in, su- in summary, we see that as promised, Jonathan went out to the field and, and he went out to the field un- under the pretense of this target practice with this young boy. And, and we see that the plan comes to fruition, how he verbally gave the signal. He used those cold words there in, in verse 37, where he said, it's not the arrow beyond you. And so it was a signal to David, okay, go ahead, leave, run away, be safe. And so we see all that taking place in verses 35 through 40. But the scriptures tell us that the little boy didn't know what was going on. He didn't know. He didn't know what was happening. But, but Jonathan and, and David, they, they knew. They knew what the saying was all about. And so Jonathan just gave his weapons to the little boy and he sent them back to the city. But picking up in verse 41, it says, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south or from the south side of the rock. He fell on his face to the ground and he bowed down three times. That is before Jonathan in front of Jonathan and he kissed and they kissed one another. This was, of course, holy kiss. It wasn't a friendship kiss. So people try to make this more than what it was, and, and, and it's not and reading into the text. But they wept together, but David more so. And then Jonathan said to David, 
Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So in other words, he's saying the Lord is witness of a bond between me and you and our descendants and our offsprings. And so he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. And so David will remain a fugitive until Saul's death. And so David noticed that he, that he wept even more than Jonathan. David left his family. He left his father. He left his brothers to be with Saul, to be a part of his court. He even left his wife. And he's leaving the friend. Well, he's still friends with Jonathan, but he's leaving his best friend. And now he's going out there just wherever. And he'll remain a person on the run until Saul dies. And so you can understand David's heart, why he wept so bitterly, why he wept even more than Jonathan. But Jonathan, as we see in the scriptures here, man, he was such a great example. He's one of those characters in the Bible that sometimes get overlooked. We talk about people like Moses. We talk about David. We talk about Paul. We, we talk about, you know, these various people in the Bible, Joshua, Joseph, but Jonathan, wow, he was cool. He was a great example. He was a great friend. And I wonder tonight, how many of you have a friend like Jonathan? Or when I grew up, I had a few close friends. And I shared about one friend who used to kind of take on bullies on my behalf. And we would box together and we would do those things together. But, but he would take up for me. I had one of those friends in the past. And not some friends in high school that we did some things together. But, but we don't... We, we're not as close as we used to be. But of course, I have a few guys today that I would consider good friends now. And they, of course, are all believers. They're all in the church. But I would say this, that, that um, wow, above all that, try not to get choked up. The best friend that I have is my wife. So now a friend, to give a definition, is one who's attached to another by affection or esteem. It is one that is not hostile. It's a person with whom one is allied in a struggle or a cause. Now repeat that again. A friend is one attached to another by affection or esteem, one that is not hostile, a person with whom one is allied in the struggle or cause. And as we look at what we know about Jonathan, this man and some of those people in your life, they have these qualities of a true friend. And one quality that we see is a friend will defend you. As we saw that Jonathan defended David against Saul, even though Saul is his father and the king of Israel, he defended his friend. But we also see that a true friend does not let ego get in the way. As Jonathan, and I shared this with the guys during our staff meeting this past Tuesday, because we're going through a book together, and, and I said that, that, that Jonathan is a great example of this. He knows that he could be a number one. He knows that he will make a great king, and, and you look at his qualities, and he would have been made a great king. 
He was courageous. He had some great qualities about him, but he knew also that David would be that David would be the king of Israel. So Jonathan had some good qualities of a number one, but he was okay with being number two because he knew that it was God's plan for David to be that next king. And so he did not let his ego get in the way. And I think that's another quality of a true friend. So number one, a true friend defends. Number two, a true friend does not let ego get in the way. But then a true friend, of course, is loyal. And we see that with Jonathan and David. Jonathan remained by his side until the end, even though physical distance separated them. And I like what the scriptures say. And many of you are familiar with this verse. But I'm going to share with you what a, other, what, what a couple other versions say. In Proverbs 18, 24, it says, and this is New King James Version. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, the CSB says this, and it's a little different from what you're used to hearing in that first part of the verse. It says, one with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. And then the ESV says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And some will say, see, I told you the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. The, 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 the thing is, there's plenty of manuscripts out there. And so depending on which manuscript the, the um, translator used to translate this scripture into English, depending on that, you would get a, a variant reading. But it really doesn't, say, it doesn't change much because the main point is there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Jonathan was that friend who stuck closer than a brother to David. But another thing about a true friend is that a true friend will keep his or her word. Oh, they'll keep their promises. And Jonathan kept his promise. Hey, if there's any harm that my father wants to do to you, then I'm going to let you know, David. And he did just that. We saw that in the scriptures tonight. But then, of course, a friend, a friend loves and the love between Jonathan and David was strong. We see that friendship as, as they were separating. You see how they wept. How they kissed and they wept. And, and again, don't get hung up on kiss. Because even in the New Testament, when Paul was departing and, they, and the other saints knew that the apostle Paul, you know, was leaving and, and, and what he was going to go through. What did they do? They fell upon his neck. They kissed him as well. And so it's, that, that's just a part of the culture between people who love each other, between a group of friends. And so a true friend loves. And I would say this tonight, that as we look at this example of Jonathan, this, this courageous man, this awesome friend in the Bible, I would say we should strive to be this kind of friend to others, the friend that he was to, to David. We should strive to be that kind of friend. Because guess what? There's people in this world. There's people in the church, in the church other brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I said, I mentioned earlier there, some of them are lonely right now. Some of them feel rejected. They go throughout the whole week and everybody's rejecting them. Everybody's putting them down. They, they invite the other co-workers out to lunch or whatever they're doing. But because they know you're a Christian, they don't want to invite you. They don't want to hang around you. They don't even want to meet your family. And so there's people who go through the week at their jobs and in their schools and in their communities and they feel rejected. They, they feel loneliness and they, they're hurting. And so there are people who need this kind of friend. There's people out there who need you to be a Jonathan to them. So will you be that Jonathan to someone else? I would encourage you tonight to go before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord, is there somebody that we're overlooking in the church? Someone who's been coming here for months, someone who's been coming here for years that need me to be a Jonathan to them, to invite them out to lunch, to invite them over to our house for dinner or invite them out to breakfast or to start 
start maybe a short Bible study with them during the week or just to text them every single morning, just some scriptures or whatever that may encourage them throughout the day. Is there anybody in this room tonight or listening online or watching online who desires to be a Jonathan tonight? I would encourage you to pray and ask the Lord, how can you be a Jonathan and to whom you could be a Jonathan too? Oh, there are people who've been done wrong by many people, even their own blood, family members, and and you could be a Jonathan to them. You could be a great friend to them as well. Oh, and as much as we lift up Jonathan tonight and as much as we give Jonathan his flowers tonight and, and, and speak on him as this good example that he is, I would say this, that, that we see all of these qualities of loyalty as, as him as a defender of his friend, this, this quality of not letting ego get in the way, this quality of keeping promises, this quality of love. We see all of these qualities, as, as great as Jonathan was, we see all of them in Jesus and more. And therefore, when we think about the title to that great hymn, we find that it is so true when it says, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, that is so true because we have a great friend in Jesus. We have a friend in Jesus because he is a friend who defends us. When the enemy tries to condemn us and, and beat us up, even though we've repented and we received Jesus Christ into our hearts, oh, the enemy will accuse us. The scriptures, first of all, says that he's the cu- accuser of the brethren. Well, Jesus is our advocate. First John chapter two, verse one tells us, and he is our advocate. He is our defense attorney, attorney, so to speak. And his blood, by the way, stands in our defense. And so when the enemy tries to accuse us, look at them. They don't deserve all those blessings that you're giving to them, God, or take that hedge away from them. Just like he's just like Satan said about Job. When the enemy accuses us, Jesus' blood stands in our defense and Jesus can say, look, I've died for that person. My, my blood has cleansed that person and that person is in me. And if that person is in me, there is no condemnation in them. As Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8 verse 1 tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he is our defender, just like Jonathan defended David, but, but he's a, even a greater fan than Jonathan because he does not let ego get in the way. Yes, Jesus is the heir, but guess what the scriptures say about us, that we are joint heirs with him. So he is not selfish to say, no, you cannot be an heir with me. In fact, he goes beyond that. Not only are we joint heirs with him, but the book of Revelation tells us that we're also going to rule and we're going to reign with him. And so he has no ego against us. He knows who he is and we ought to know who we are. We are below the king, but he still allows us to reign with him. He still allows, still allows us to be joint heirs with him because this friend, this greatest friend of all, Jesus Christ, he does not let ego get in the way. And we also see that he is loyal to us as well. He, he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. He is a loyal friend, but he's also, as the song says, he's a promise keeper. Just like Jonathan kept his promises to, to David, Oh, Jesus, the greatest friend of all, he keeps his promises to us. In fact, I like what this says in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, as he's talking to the, the church of the Laodiceans, notice that he refers to himself as the amen. Amen means so be it. So in other words, whatever he says is going to come to pass. And so he is a promise keeper, even a greater promise keeper than Jonathan was. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, and this friend... As the worship team comes to the stage, this same friend, Jesus Christ, he loves us. Remember I said that was the, another quality of a true friend. A, a true friend will love. And this friend, Jesus Christ, he loves us. But he took it further. He didn't just say he loved us. But the scriptures tell us in, in John 15, 13, and this is from the master himself, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Oh, and we are his friends. If you repented and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are his friend. You are on his side. You are a friend of God just like Abraham was. 
You see, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And we know that. We see that in the scripture. But those who become his friends through faith in him, those of us who've done that, we're the ones who get to experience the benefits of friendships, of that friendship with him. We get to experience that. And praise God for this friend we have in Jesus who laid down his life for us. And so we get to experience those spiritual blessings in this life and in eternity. As Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, blessed that we are blessed with every spiritual gift or spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a benefit of being friends with Jesus. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for who you are, what you are to us. Thank you that you are a father. You are a God. You are a creator. You are a promise keeper. You're the lover of our souls. You are a friend. We thank you that that's possible through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for pricking our hearts when we were unbelievers and convicting us of sin. We thank you that you drew us to Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Because you wanted us to spend eternity with you. You wanted us to be friends and to no longer be at enmity with you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have all these great spiritual blessings in store for us in the heavenly places in Christ. We thank you for all you've done in us, for us, and through us. And we thank you for what you're going to do through us, Lord, as well as for us and in us. And we ask your blessing, Lord, upon the remainder of this night. We ask you to strengthen. We ask you to heal those who need healing mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We ask for restoration where restoration is needed. And we ask for traveling grace on the way back home. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for putting up with Crybaby Darrell tonight. But we can cry around family. We can cry around friends, right? So praise God for you. And as always, we love you. May God keep you and use you in a mighty way this week. And if you're able to stand, please do as we sing to our King. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit Calvary Queen Creek dot org.